listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Hello and welcome to episode number one of Footprints on Our Hearts. And I can't quite believe that this is finally going out. It's felt like a very long journey to get here. And I'm so grateful to the parents who've trusted me with their stories and their faith and patience that the podcast would finally go live. I think I first decided I wanted to do this probably about six or seven months ago. And then I committed to doing it about four or five months ago. And it's been hard both I guess finding the time to fit it in and learn new skills um, and finding people to interview but also it's it's quite a big thing isn't it putting yourself out there for this type of stuff so I hope you enjoy it and I hope it's worth it. In this episode I talked to Sophie Daniels about her daughter Liberty who was stillborn in 2011 and the song that she wrote for her. Sophie is a professional songwriter and last year she released an EP to raise money for Tommies and Sands, two baby loss charities here in the UK. I first heard her song, I Can Love You From Here, back in September and it, well, it really struck me pretty, it's a pretty hard-hitting song. <laughs> when you hear it, I think you'll understand why. I'm I'm not going to really talk about it anymore because I do think that with songs, it's something you have to hear, but it definitely resonated with me um, a lot. And, and I think it resonates with a lot of people who have lost children. And Sophie has very kindly given me permission to play her song at the end of this episode. So please don't switch off after the interview is over. If you carry on listening, then you'll be able to hear the full version of that song. Um, And I hope it touches you as it touched me. As well as talking about Liberty's story and her legacy, we also do talk about pregnancy after loss in this episode. If you find discussions of that nature difficult to listen to, I've included timestamps in the show notes for the different segments of the interview so you can skip ahead to the parts you're interested in without worrying about something being triggering. Finally, I would love to know what you think of the interview and hear any suggestions you have for future podcast guests. You can email me at alison at footprintsonourhearts.com or connect with me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts. I'd also really appreciate you helping to spread the word about the podcast by telling your friends and leaving a rating or review on iTunes or your podcast app. So I think that's all. Thank you for listening and let's get into the interview. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Sophie, also known as Liberty's mother. Welcome to the show, Sophie. Oh, thank you, Alison. Thank you so much for having me on. That's great. Could you start by briefly introducing yourself and your family? Yes. So my name is Sophie. My real name is Sophie Alanya, but I'm also known um, professionally as Sophie Daniels, and I'm a songwriter usually a non-performing songwriter, but at the moment I'm a performing songwriter because I'm working on a project uh, called Liberty's Mother, which is um, an artist project supporting a song that I wrote for my daughter, Liberty. Uh, I'm the mother of three children. Um, My eldest child, Liberty, 
would be coming up to being nine in January 2020. She was still born in January 2011. I have two younger sons who are Cosmo, uh, who is six and a half, and Rocco, who is going to be five in February. I'm married to Alessandro. Um, and yeah, busy life here. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, so Liberty was your first child, and as you say, all sort of almost nine years ago now. Um, yeah. How did your pregnancy go with Liberty? The pregnancy was great. Yeah, I mean, the all the way through my pregnancy, and right up until the day that Liberty died. Actually, I was told by midwives that I was having a textbook pregnancy, mm-hmm. which is an interesting term. So yeah, I was completely fit and healthy, um, and there were no problems detected at all. Um, right up until twenty week scan, and then beyond through all the midwife checks and so on. It wasn't until I was thirty six weeks pregnant with Liberty. Um, that we randomly went into the hospital in the afternoon for an extra checkup um, and discovered that she had died that morning. I actually had my midwife, my 36-week midwife, check that morning and was told that everything was brilliant and perfect. But I had an uneasy feeling about the midwife herself who seemed, she'd just come back herself, I think, from a period of leave, Um, And she seemed uneasy and not particularly, you know, sort of on the case. Um, And I went home and I said to my husband, you know, I just wasn't happy about any of that. And he said, you know what, Uh, it's been a few weeks since your last check. You said that you weren't happy. So let's go into the hospital and and ask them to do the, the checks again. And that's when we found out that Liberty had died that morning. And and. And I've been there and that must have been incredibly hard. But equally, I mean, did the midwife, you know, check her heartbeat and, and do all those things which they would normally do? Yeah, in the she morning? did. She did in the morning. And um, I think that's what made me uneasy, actually. I mentioned that I'm a songwriter, so I know a thing or two about beats per minute. And we had a conversation about that, me and her. And it just seemed that she wasn't quite um, she wasn't quite confident. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, by that point, um, actually, it, there was nothing that that she or anyone could have done because what actually happened was that the placenta had died early, which is quite a common thing mm-hmm. with stillbirth. So there was an issue with growth restriction, and Liberty hadn't been growing for the last probably couple of weeks of my pregnancy between weeks thirty four and thirty six. This is something that would have only been picked up with a different um, way to approach scans and, and measurements and so on. Um, but, yeah, it was it was obviously um, a, an incredible shock and something that we were completely unprepared for when it happened. Mm-hmm. And you had your husband with you at the hospital when you were given that news? Yeah, I did quite quite random. Like I say, the way the whole thing happened, it was my first day actually of maternity leave and he happened to be working from home. Um, so he was with me at the time. Um, but yeah, the, the, the whole period, everything that happened then was a complete shock and it's something I was completely unprepared for, um, which is is one of the things I've been quite interested in since it happened that, you know, um, even the term stillbirth was something that I'd never heard 
I'd never heard before. Um, I, in fact, I think it was a term that I'd heard once in my life, which was, you know, in, in a film that I was watching. It wasn't something that had been spoken about to me and it wasn't something that we were looking out for at all. Growth restriction or, or an issue with the placenta wasn't something that we had visibility of or were, were looking out for at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember being exactly the same. And I had this strange notion in my head that that stillbirth was something that happened if a, a baby died almost during labor or during delivery. Like, I just didn't have this concept that, you know, if a child had gone through your first scan and your, you know, your 20 week scan, um, that after that, you know, it it could die in your womb, and that that would be classed as a as a stillbirth. Um, so yeah, I I I understand that I did the same thing then. And and how did how did the hospital treat you, and and what did they tell you after that? Because I'm sure if you were anything like me, you you were just in complete shock and didn't know what like, what happens next. Yeah, I was in shock. I would say, you know, for for a long period of time afterwards. I think it sort of starts at that at that moment, or at least it did for me. Um, the hospital were uh, not great. I mean, you know, obviously a hospital is made up of individuals and policies and processes, um, and I'm sure that everybody involved was doing their best. And I think quite a bit has changed in the last nine years. Every hospital is different, but they weren't great. Um, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know that the, the individuals were sympathetic, but that you know the main thing was just really sort of um, trying to explain to somebody who was in shock and had no preconception that this was even a possibility. Um, that that you know what would happen now was to go home and to work out what happened and then come back forty eight hours later and give birth. So at that moment, I was given some tablets to start the process. Um, and we were sent home and told to come back um, 48 hours later to, to give birth. Um, and the, the, the whole sort of experience at Chelsea and Westminster um, was not great. Like I say, I, I'm not um, looking to uh, blame any individual. It's the way that they were asked to do things at the time. But, uh, you know, anything in terms of where we were giving birth and how it was going to be was sort of largely left to us to ask for or manage or handle there certainly wasn't anything in place to kind of um you know uh, as the way to do it or any advice given or any of this kind of thing so how did you over those kind of next 48 hours I guess how did you prepare yourself for the fact that not only were you going to you know be induced and, and give birth earlier than you'd anticipated but also that you know you wouldn't be getting a live baby at the end of it um, well, we I suppose we spoke to a couple of health professionals who we were already in touch with. Um, and I think my GP contacted me because um, obviously you have that link with the GP and you have the, your link with the hospital. Um, and we had uh, we had my parents come and stay with us um, and we just did our best to to prepare for the situation. But yeah, it's it's very hard to prepare for something that you you don't know you're going to be preparing for, and you you don't know what it is really. And so, okay, so you so you left the hospital, you went home for a couple of days, and then mm. sort of two days later, you went back in with your hospital bag ready. Yeah. So talk talk us through a bit, maybe. I guess how were you feeling then? How did how did the kind of induction process and the birth go? It's it's interesting because I think a lot about that 
situation is to do with information and um uh you know what you can be expecting because that's the thing if you're going in to give birth in any situation you spend such a long time preparing for what it's going to be like and then you're told okay something completely different is happening obviously I'm I'm talking now sort of slightly divorced from the emotional idea of, Mm -hmm. of, of of the fact that you've got to somehow process not just life but also death um but in terms of what to expect and and how things are going to be, you know, there's so little information and there's so many questions that you have, I think. You you don't know if your birth is going to be anything like other people's births or anything like the birth that you're expecting physically as well as emotionally. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we did our best to prepare ourselves, but we didn't know, you know, I didn't know what my baby was going to look like. Um, I didn't know if there was any implications for my health, I didn't know, you know, all sorts of really important things. Um, And I suppose most importantly, I didn't know what I was going to do afterwards. I didn't know what it was going to be like to be on the ward. Um, Actually, I wasn't on the ward. I was in a a separate room on the ward. Um, But that was something that we had to ask for and that we didn't know would be possible until we arrived at the hospital um, and we were still sort of through the late, I think we were in the room that generally you go to if you're really lucky and you get a shot at that room after you've given birth kind of thing. Um, So all of that was really uncertain and it it was impossible really, I think, to prepare. And I don't think it is impossible. I think, you know, with more information and a more kind of open conversation, about this it, it should be it should be easier mm. and I, I don't know what it was like back then so obviously we're talking about kind of nine years ago and mm. and certainly the first thing I did when I kind of got home and part of my sort of trying to prepare myself was pretty much hitting Google and looking <laughs> for all these things which you just described but I'm guessing I don't know did you manage to find much information yourself Oh, that's really interesting because I didn't do that. Um, and I I don't know if it was that I just wasn't a Googler at that time or if it was just not the way that I thought. Um, it's interesting because I've noticed that the kind of information that's available and the conversation on social media and the kind of shared, you know, um, network to a certain extent, which is online now, I don't think that was there then, no. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a good thing and I've been quite interested in finding out about that there is a lot spoken obviously about social media and a lot of the negative effects and I think there is a community online now obviously you know interacting with community and information is another thing there's a lot of misinformation um, but no I, I don't think that was there and I certainly didn't look for it and I didn't really have access to or know about other people in this situation Mm, that's really interesting um and did you feel that the hospital kind of supported you and I guess you had your husband there whilst you were giving birth and afterwards um and did you get to meet Liberty after you'd given birth to her yeah spend some time with her I did have my husband there I had my parents at home in the they were expecting to come and stay at my house you know when I gave birth Mm. but very different circumstances um but again, it was there were so many unknowns. You know, I didn't know what it would be like in terms of meeting Liberty. I didn't know what that would be like in terms of 
coping with it. I didn't know what it would be like in terms of the hospital's attitude towards it. Um, it seems so silly now to think that anybody else would have control or power over that. But, you know, when I think your first pregnancy as well is very different to your subsequent pregnancies. And that's a huge factor when it comes to stillbirth, because so often the issues, when if it's growth restriction or, or any other kind of issue are to do are generally with a first pregnancy. Um, in the end, um, I did hold liberty and I did spend time with her. I can't remember really how much it was because I think in you know looking back on it I was in shock and it might have been a quite a long period of time it felt like a short period of time I remember the midwife was keen to take the baby from me um so I didn't have that experience I've read about other people spending a long period of time or staying in the hospital and having the rest of the family meet the baby and being there over time that wasn't um offered to me but also I don't know if it's something that we would have known how to handle. Um, I think if I could do things differently, I would have liked to spend more time with her and to have the rest of my family meet with her. Um, I think, again, with a distance of time, my view about that sort of thing is probably that maybe it doesn't matter. In other words, me looking at the past and what's happened with respect to details like that probably doesn't matter to me now if you'd asked me four or five years ago I probably would have said it does matter and you know let's talk it through but now I'd probably say you know none of that really matters in the big picture of my life but if I were advising anybody I would say to, to spend more time and I would want to do that. Hmm. And do you feel part of that in terms of you mentioned the midwife kind of taking liberty from you I, I mean I, I think from from what I've heard and stories I've read the sort of awareness within hospitals of um I, I guess that opportunity for parents to spend time with their child after their babies died has maybe increased more recently in more recent years and and maybe perhaps that is something that may have changed over the last nine years? I think it has changed. I think the conversation being on the radar has changed. I think in the bigger picture, people's awareness to talk about death, to talk about grief is changing and has changed. And I think that is terrifically important. Um, I can remember that I had two midwives who changed shift. Um, and I can remember both of them. I could describe them both in detail to you now. You know, if I, if I had to do one of those police identikits, we could find them. I can, okay. see, I can see them in my, you know, as clear as day. Um, the first one was a beautiful and lovely Danish girl who was about 21. And she cried the entirety of the time. She had no idea how to emotionally cope with the situation. And I remember feeling quite maternal to her and trying to reassure her, which is silly, isn't it, really? But there we are. And then she was replaced by um, a woman probably about in her early 50s who was the sort of polar opposite, quite sort of strong, quite tough, who was just really quite difficult to communicate with I think she couldn't cope with it either but she was in the opposite direction it was a bit like you know if your mother was somebody who couldn't talk about any feelings and it was a bit like having her in the room um oh you know I mean and I mean even the idea that they would change shifts is is 
extraordinary really i mean i don't know but maybe you could say well no one can do a 24-hour shift but you know uh, anyway yeah the, the whole thing was far from ideal really and i think there's been i think there's been training and i you know i don't know maybe at chelsea and west maybe it's the same <laughs> um because there is an issue with hospitals being different but i personally think that the wider conversation around training and around grief and counseling and just about you know the, the kind of human story and acknowledging what stillbirth is is really the the key to all of this yeah i agree and and i do feel like that has hopefully moved on it sounds like you you did really have the opposite end of the spectrums and neither neither person you know perhaps really knew how to deal with you best and i guess you know again if it's your first pregnancy you don't really know what's supposed to happen and you don't know what you can ask for or you know what the options are so you're almost at a you know a disadvantage that way yeah it's um and and you know the thing is you're dealing with giving birth as well no one knows how they're going to give birth the full time and i i've i've described it several times when i talk about stillbirth i i describe it as being like understanding birth and death you know i think as human beings they're probably the two biggest things that we can encounter and try to process and actually stillbirth is is both of those at once and it's I don't think there is any sort of more confronting situation you could be faced with as a human being and I I do understand it's difficult for midwives but I think to have them trained and and you know be there as a guide for these situations is crucial because as we know you know it's it's something that happens yeah so so you were released from hospital and went home I'm I'm guessing because uh liberty was 36 weeks you had pretty much everything ready for her did you have the nursery and all that kind of stuff ready how i mean how hard was it that's a stupid question isn't it but <laughs> how did you find those i guess those initial days and those initial weeks in terms of grieving um really just as i suppose anybody who's got any experience of grief i think is probably familiar with with the grief side of it it, it you know shock um initially um just trying to to process even the fact of what has happened i think is incredibly difficult because i think that's something that people don't understand with stillbirth um and that's why i think it's so important for other people to meet your baby is that they don't understand that this is your your child who has died. It's not a pregnancy that's ended, and and that's not to in any way minimise any other form of baby loss. And I I I you know I understand. Well, I I believe all forms of baby loss are equally relevant and important. So um, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that I think um, people don't really understand that, that stillbirth is is actually about giving birth to your baby in the same way as a live baby. It's just that your baby has died just before that. Um, and so the grief process, I, I think, is exactly like it would be for any other, you know, child or, or very close family relative. And that the first few days, you're just, you can't really understand that it's happened. And and then I I had uh, family visiting just initially, um, just kind of dealing with a person who's in deep shock, and then occasionally going out for a walk. And I didn't even really visit the nursery, which is the room in my house um and it, you know I, I didn't need to and I'm fortunate that that was a separate room I suppose but that was something I didn't come to for you know month weeks or even months but um but you do 
it, you do have to go out the house. I suppose you don't have to, but I did. And you do have to buy food and you do have to do all these things. And and then you're encountering a world full of people who have seen you nine months pregnant, of course. So every single person you encounter says, where is your baby? From the guy who runs the corner shop to, you know, I, I went to the supermarket and bumped into a friend of my mother's. And, you know, so that's, that's a kind of constant day-to-day reality when you do find that you can leave the house. Mm. And what were people's responses to that? Did they did they run away? Did they were they sympathetic? Um, yeah, I think as variable as them. You know, I, I I think um I think the issue is that no one knows how to cope with this. So it different. You know, there was some people. I had an it sort of instinct about people that I felt I could interact with and people I didn't feel I could interact with and and for me that was really a think about guessing how easy how easy they would find it to cope with Mm -hmm. um but you don't you can't control it because you bump into everyone everywhere you go um but I think in the main I found people were as sympathetic and helpful as they could be but it's just not something you really expect to be dealing with when you bump into someone in the the supermarket Mm -hmm. car park um and you know it's 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 a, a big issue and I, I think like for me as I said earlier it is to do with the conversation around around death and grief as well that I think as a culture we're quite unprepared to to discuss. Mm-hmm. Definitely I definitely agree with that and how how was your husband during this period as well? Did you talk a lot did you you know or did you grieve in sort of very different ways? Uh Initially, the first period of grief, the first six months, maybe year, I think we were very fortunate. We were very close together. Um, The grief process is incredibly challenging, not just for couples, but for families, for everyone, for friendships. Um, And it changes over time. And there have been times over the last nine years where we've been completely out of sync with each other. But in the initial stages, we were very fortunate and they were very close. Um, My husband is Italian and there were times in the early stages after Liberty died when I remember seeing him um, on the phone to his best friends who are in Italy in tears and, and with his friends in tears. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah this is when I really thought this is a bit different being married to an Italian <laughs> because <laughs> the first time, you know, um, it really was the first time because um, I think he was brought up in maybe in a slightly different way than than your average Northern bloke. And that's not to, you know, because I dated a lot of Northern blokes. I'm from the North. So that's not kind of, um, you know, criticizing English men who I love and adore. And, and also English men have got things going for them over and above Italian men. But he had that emotional, he found it a lot easier, I think, to cry, um, a lot easier to talk to people about grief and to talk to his friends and so on. But then, like I say, I think the grief process changes over times. And there were times later down the line when we were further away from each other. I'm not sure I even know what that means or what that was. But it's it's a long road, you know, and it's one you've got to try and stay on if you can together. And it's very hard to do that. 
My husband is half Italian, <laughs> but when it comes to emotion, when it comes to emotions, he's definitely an English Northern bloke. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, he had the, the opposite thing anyway. And there was plenty of times when I remember sort of saying, look, you know, what about me? <laughs> I'm the woman. I'm the one who's meant, yeah. meant to be very emotional. And then there were other times when I was grateful for it. So it swings and roundabouts, isn't it, with mm. people and their strengths and weaknesses? Yeah. And I think, as you said, it's a long journey. And one of the reasons I was so keen to speak to you for the podcast was because Liberty died. I mean, not such a long time ago, you know, nine years is, you know, not a huge amount of time. But I think compared to perhaps um, a lot of people who I might have as guests who've had more recent Mm -hmm. losses, what I really wanted to speak to you about was how you feel your grief has changed over time from those sort of initial incredibly painful weeks and months what what has your grief journey or roller coaster looked like yeah it has been a roller coaster it's also I think you know everybody's different but I think it probably has been a long one for me but um I guess we all process in things you know over time as we maybe instinctively think are manageable um I and and I and I think it, it changes over time. Um I I don't know how to kind of um talk about it in different stages. Um I, I've been very aware of of like I said of my husband and I kind of going through different periods of being able to relate to each other. Um I think what I would say is that I'm now na- I've suddenly come to a very different period in my life where I feel much more able to cope with um, this, the how I want my relationship with liberty to be. And I think that's one of the most demanding things um, with a child, but also with a child that's been, that's been stillborn um, because other people do find it so hard to relate to and talk about that you, you do feel, or at least I felt there's responsibility to do some of that job for them. Um, and I suppose now I feel that I've understood my my response to to the grief and to the the stillbirth in a way that I can sort of take that on, if you like. Um, I, I, the one, I mean, I wouldn't want anybody who who is um, you know experienced this more recently than me to think that it takes nine years to get there either, because I think that everybody gets wherever they get in their own time frame. Um, depending on on all you know the support network how they've been brought up and and all of those things um but but for me it's taken a long time to get to this this place where I suppose I've I've entered into a period of my life where I feel that I can be happy and I feel that I can um lead my best life whatever that means that I feel that I can take liberty with me into a period where she is a part of the family um, and I've accepted that being her mother means that I can um, still have a relationship with her although she is gone Um, and I found a way that I can integrate her into my family um, which which was really difficult Um, but but I think it's possible and 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 I well I know it's possible because that's where I am And, and I think that would be the thing that I'd want to say to people who maybe are you know, a bit more recently lost a child. And I think that's 
that's really good for me to hear because I am one of the people who has more recently lost that child. And I think sometimes, obviously, I mean, my own grief goes in waves as well. But I think sometimes when you're you're in one of those down points and, you know, you're struggling to kind of see the light, you, you just need that bit of hope mm. that, you know, yes, life does does continue. Mm. That also leads me on nicely to my next question. So you obviously decided to go on to have other children. How did you and your husband make that decision? And when did you feel the time was right for you? Um, we, we'd always, uh, well, we had said that we would like to have three or four children. That's what we'd agreed. And of course, you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen. And I think everybody's sort of aware of that in the modern world, you know, you don't know how quickly you're going to fall pregnant. You don't know, um, you know, what the road might be. So we certainly hadn't taken it for granted. But the fact that we'd sort of already established that I think was helpful to me because um, getting pregnant when your baby has died is is very complex. Um, and you you think about you know, for me, I've noticed that the, the the concept of replacing your child is very, uh, very kind of complex and and subconscious sometimes, um, uh, or, or rather, the concern that you might be doing that can be complex and subconscious. And um, so, I found it really helpful that I'd already known that I wanted to have other children, and that kind of, you know, I almost use that as a way to cheer myself along um, because. It, for me, I felt concerned about, you know, I didn't want to to replace liberty. And, and, and the fact that people are always saying to you, oh, you know, it's great, you can get pregnant again, that I think it, it makes it more difficult because you're you're reacting to that by sort of thinking, well, if I do get pregnant again, will everybody think or will I think that I'm replacing my child? And, yeah, for me, I, I found that all of that really complicated. But I, I clung to the fact that um, we'd planned to have three or four children um, and that helped me to to embark on the journey of wanting to become pregnant again. And also, I think uh, for me, I, because I was a bit older, maybe than some people when I had liberty, I, I knew that I couldn't wait for a long time. Um, and I did have this sense of wanting to get on with it. Um, actually, I didn't fall pregnant with Cosmo for about... Uh, about 15 or 18 months. Um, and I think to a certain extent, my mind or my body weren't ready. I think they were working together and they weren't ready together. Um, I put some pressure on myself to get pregnant again quickly. I think part of me wanted to reassure the people that were worried about me that if I got pregnant again, maybe they could stop worrying about me. And I mean, you know, this stuff is also understandable, but in retrospect, you know, not necessary. <laughs> the things that we worry about that we don't need to worry about. Um, but I did worry about all of that. And I think also my anxiety to get pregnant again quite quickly probably was counterproductive. Um, one thing that I probably would change if I could go back in time is I would put less pressure on myself to get pregnant again quickly. Um, because I think that was sort of interacting with my grief process as well. Um, but I, I did fall pregnant again with Cosmo. Actually, it probably took me as long with Cosmo as it did with Liberty because um, it took me about about 15 months to fall pregnant with Liberty. Um, and then uh, I had Cosmo. There's about a two-year gap between him and Liberty. Um, and then I fell pregnant with Rocco, uh, I think, 
uh, on Cosmo's first birthday, which in retrospect was probably too soon for me. And I'd, I would have probably been better off with a bigger gap. And that's why I say it would probably have been better if I wasn't so focused on having my other children. Um, but I, I, I suppose I wanted to get the anxiety of the pregnancies out of the way because that's that's pretty difficult. Yeah, I can imagine. And I feel there is no there is no right or or wrong way um, in terms of this. Um, and I think inter- it's really interesting what you say about the fact that it probably took as long for you to get prog- pregnant with Cosmo as it did with Liberty. Except I guess with Liberty, you were, you maybe you'd mentally prepared yourself for the fact that, oh, this may take a while. But then after that, you're like, well, I, I should be able to get pregnant straight away. Why aren't I getting pregnant? Will I never get pregnant again? What's what's going on here? And I feel you've got all those other kind of anxieties going on. And and I think I think you should give yourself a break as well, though, because I feel like even if you say, oh, I would like to go back and not put as much pressure on myself, I think that's really it's maybe easy to say with hindsight, but at the time is really hard to do. Yeah, I think it's interesting because a lot of this is also to do with how other people see us. And, and you know, I was worried about people worrying about me. And um, I think a, a lot of it was when I was getting pregnant with Liberty, not many people knew that I was trying to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I was trying to get pregnant with Cosmo, I suppose everybody assumed that I was trying to get pregnant again um, and that's really relevant you know because mm. uh, we you know we can't help I suppose but worry about what other people are thinking about what we're doing and that's a reality isn't it I mean you know I had I had I worked for college and um, no one there has children so I knew that they'd be thinking oh right was she going to go off on maternity leave you know again and and also you know your family and your friends and my friend my children have got babies and so all of those eyes are on you and I think you feel that too and another thing that I would really oh if I could only give the gift to to anybody in this situation to just not worry or care about what other people think that would be the best gift I think you could give anyone yeah I, I feel that is that is really important um particularly after you've been through something as traumatic as you know losing a child yeah so I would like to talk a bit about Liberty's legacy. Mm. Um, and before we come on to your songwriting, I just wanted to ask you how you remember her or how you think about her as a family. And in particular with your two boys, did you talk about Liberty from when they were really little or is it something that you've brought up more recently? And what kind of awareness do they have of her? Yeah, that's really interesting. We've actually always talked about liberty. Um, we, I mean, now I think that we're sort of a bit more, uh, we've sort of really worked out the way that we want it to be and, and and it took us a long time to get there. So now I think we've got a sense of when it's, uh, when it's relevant and helpful to talk about her and when it's not necessary to talk about her. Whereas before that, we would always have erred on the side of talking about her if there was any doubt because we wanted her to be present. Um, but now I suppose we maybe talk about her a bit less, but she would always be mentioned. And, you know, the boys are very aware of her as their big sister. Um, and it's interesting in terms of legacy, because I think, you know, it's lovely that she has imprinted herself on our family in the way that 
obviously not not the way that she would have done if she was here, but that she has had a very meaningful effect um, on her younger siblings. And I think that will continue throughout their lives. Um, and is there anything specific you've done, I guess, in terms of remembering her or that you do? Do you have any kind of, I guess, family traditions or anything like that that you've used to kind of, I guess, make sure that she remains um well she's included in things like um you know there's there's a couple of pictures in her house that have kids names on them and she's on there as well um we do celebrate her birthday every year and we did that since we did that as a couple before Cosmo and Rocco were here and we now do it um with the children as well um we when they were both little babies, we had a nanny. We don't now, but um, what we used to do was we gave that to her as a bank holiday, and we took we all had the day off work. The boys had the day off school, and we do something together. So you know, it's sort of like an extra Christmas day in our house, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do that, and going forward, I think we will probably do something in her name. Maybe when they're teenagers, that'll be charity work, but. Um, at the moment, it the focus is on them enjoying themselves. Um, and the first year of her birthday, it was about us enjoying ourselves. I remember we had a lovely day. Subsequent ones, we, we found it a bit tougher, but I think because we hadn't planned it as much. Um, but, I mean, relating this back to her legacy, that there have been times when I've I've thought that the boys are struggling emotionally with the concept. Of course they're struggling emotionally with it. it it's grief. Um, but... There was a moment when I I sat with the boys when uh, I just made the, the record that I've recorded for for Liberty and we listened to the songs and we listened to I Can Love You From Here and Rocco started to cry and Cosmo, uh, the older son, put his arm around him and, and Rocco said to him, I just really miss her. And we just were sort of quiet and Cosmo said to Rocco, Oh, it's all right, Rocco. We all miss her, but it's okay. And I'll never forget that moment. And Cosmo had been processing all of this. Um, and that was the moment when I thought this is part of her legacy because um, I don't know what effect, for better or worse, her presence and her life and her death has had on them. But I don't think it can be a bad thing if they can understand um all these different things of, of what it means to be a human being when they're so young, you know, I think it's, I think it's a good thing. I think it will make them in some ways strong and resilient. And I know it's been hard for them as it has for us, but I think it, it could make them into, you know, more than they would have been. That's really beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> And it was it was quite it was quite extraordinary. And there have been times when 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 Cosmo was little, particularly when he behaved, behaved very badly. And I remember people saying to me, "Oh, why well, is it necessary to talk to him about liberty?" And um, you know, almost as though me telling him about her had made him more unhappy. And my response to that is, the most important thing about me as a parent is I need to have a relationship with my children. And if the most important thing to me emotionally, I am not telling them how can I have a real relationship with them? You know, part of the legacy is for me to be present and be real and open and emotional with them as well. I don't know if I would have, if I would have been able to do that in the way that I am now. I don't know. I'll never know. So you wrote the song, I Can Love You From Here for Liberty. It's 
a really beautiful and emotional song. It definitely struck a chord with me when I listened to it. Now, you wrote it quite soon after she died, I think. Did you think when you were writing it that one day you'd release it or was it more of a way for you just to express your grief? Um, I didn't think that I would release it. I certainly never thought that I would sing it myself and release it. I never thought that that would be the case. Um, I am a songwriter, but I write uh, generally for other people and with other people. So I don't generally perform myself. Um, when I wrote the song, I was doing what I think all creatives sometimes do, which is to express how I was feeling. And actually songwriting is a very interesting creative process because it's, in a way, I think it's kind of about problem solving. And I think what I was doing when I wrote I Can Love You From Here is sort of writing a script for myself. It's almost as though I was saying um, what I would, how I would like to have be able to cope with the situation. And I certainly was not living that when I wrote the song <laughs> because I wrote it about 10 weeks after she died. And I think now, nine years later, I am living it. Um, and in between, it's almost like it was a touchstone for me to try and work towards um, because it was the thing that was really bothering me um, during that initial period is like, how can I love you? You know, am I supposed to forget you? Or or how can I love you? And how can I love you if you're not here? Um, and there was a strange sense of calm that came over me when I wrote that song that almost explained to me how I could do that. And like I say, I, I wasn't able to do that for a long time. I was fighting against it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I was, I was trying to express my emotions and, and make sense of that problem. And um, then I, uh, I I occasionally sang it at student events because I teach songwriting and I occasionally sang it at songwriter circle events where we just talk about songwriting as a process. I never thought about it being something that would be released commercially. Um, and then, uh, as you know, uh, this sort of interesting turn of events came about whereby uh, we were invited to a service at the Houses of Parliament for Baby Loss Awareness Week. And my husband was asked to give a reading and he said, I would like to read the lyric for the song that you wrote. And I said, nah, it's a lyric. You're not going to read it. Sorry. It's, it's song or nothing. And he said, OK, well, you come and sing the song then. So I said, oh, right. OK, then. And then one thing led to another and we recorded it for charity. And you're using it to raise money for Tommy's, I think, which is a baby loss charity here in the UK. Um, and I think you and your husband also did quite a bit of fundraising, uh, I guess, in the early years after Liberty's death. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, um, it's interesting because I think fundraising and being aligned with charities and so on is, is also part of legacy. And for me, that's also part of what I would call the continuing bond, which is still having a relationship with Liberty um that uh you know doing doing those things i remember in the early years alessandro used to describe that as his time with liberty you know when we first had cosmo and then rocco came along there was times when i would say to alessandro do you really need to go to that committee meeting and he'd say yeah because she's my child too so i know rocco's three months old and sick but i need to go and be with liberty um 
So Alessandro um, has done a lot of work. He's been on various different committees and done sort of business pro bono work for Tommy's, who are a fantastic charity, who are all about um, doing research into the causes um, behind stillbirth and miscarriage. And they're they're making great strides because many, um, many of these deaths, stillbirths and miscarriages are preventable. Um, He and his friends also have run the half marathon lots of times. And as a group, Team Liberty, they've raised over £50,000 for Tommy's. Um, Wow, that is amazing. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Very inspirational. Yeah, it's it's really something. And that for us as well was a great way that friends could get involved. So he had a couple of best mates who were English or maybe uh, not not Italian anyway. (laughs) Um, And maybe he couldn't connect with them in that way by talking about it, but they ran alongside him at the marathon. And that was great for our sort of community of friends and also great for other people to say, actually, you know, my wife's had a miscarriage and we do want to talk about it and bring it to the friendship group kind of thing. Um, and so the, the record is, uh, the profits from the record are going to Tommy's, but I'm, act- I'm actually also working with SANS, who the, are the bereavement support charity. They do very important work as well. Um, and we're publishing sheet music next week through their website and you can buy that through the sands shop and so all the profits from the sheet music um until forever will go to sands so that will support that charity and then the the recording rights and the the airplay and so on will go to to tommy's that's fantastic and i'm i'm actually selfishly i'm very glad you are releasing the sheet music um so i will probably get that and um well, I would say put my piano skills to use, but my mum's piano skills are far superior to mine, so I might, I might make her play it for me. Yeah, when <laughs> it's funny when we were arranging Liberty's funeral, I felt very concerned that there wasn't anything that sort of felt suitable, um, and probably most people wouldn't care about that. But you know, I cared about that. I care, I care about music, and um, when I've been to services you know the readings or the songs weren't there so I wanted to make it available so that people can have it for services or just just as a part of remembrance to sing themselves or have their friends sing or whatever. Yeah and I agree I I don't know I mean there, there may be songs out there but I don't know of any other songs that are you know, purely about losing your child and, and I guess talking to your child and giving giving them that message. And I remember when we were organising Sky's funeral, I spent hours and hours trying to think of a song that could adequately convey some of my feelings on that occasion. And I do feel that I can love you from here. If that had been available, I am sure I, I would have used it. So... We are out of time, but thank you so much for sharing Liberty's story and talking with me today. Um, Just to finish off, would you like to tell people where they can find out more about you online and where they can listen to I Can Love You From Here and buy it, of course. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. I really am so pleased that you're doing the podcast. I think the more um, podcasts, the more pieces of media, articles written and art created about baby loss uh, will all help this conversation to which I and I think widening the conversation is really important you know in in helping everybody in all their interactions and and their individual experiences of loss um so we have a website which is www.libertiesmother.com um we're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Liberty's Mother um you can go to the website and read all about me and see my blog you can um 
down you can get the link to download the web the uh download the digital version of the ep um it's on every streaming and um, music platform you can buy it if you want to buy a physical copy of the cd you can contact me through the website um i'd love to hear from people if they want to get in touch with me so everything is at liberty's mother Great. And I will include all those links in the show notes. And I do recommend that everyone goes out and listens to and buys your EP. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sophie. And now instead of our usual outro, here is Sophie's song, I Can Love You From Here. There's much less sun than rain But for me There's little left to learn If I can't hold you again I try to look ahead Where there's nothing left to see But it doesn't matter anymore if you're next to me Cause I can love you from here Hold that love in my heart I can find a way to give that love a life Now we're apart I don't know why you go But the rest is so clear to love you and I can love you from here I know it's better to love and lose it all than to never even try still it seems so hard to come and break my heart and then leave me with no
love you and I can 